Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, my loves. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum, the podcast where we talk all about estrangement, toxic families and generational trauma in a digital age. In today's episode, we're going to talk all about sense of self, that age old question of who am I? Because there is nothing that will erode your sense of identity more than growing up with a narcissistic or toxic parent. Okay, let's get into it. Show of hands, how many of you have been doing one of those really annoying icebreakers that absolutely nobody enjoys? Or maybe you've been going for a job interview or whatever the circumstance might have been and somebody sat you down and said to you, okay, so tell me a bit about you. I want to know all about whatever your name is. Who are you? And you have just thought, what the fuck am I meant to say to that? Or you've started talking about something that you've done in your career, you've started talking about your kids and their achievements, and you can see them looking at you thinking, that's not really about you, who are you? And that question feels so confronting, and so intimidating, and so overwhelming. Who am I? I don't know, I don't have a clue. And it's a really panicky moment when you suddenly think to yourself, I can't answer this question because I don't know. And don't get me wrong, I firmly believe that we all have an element of this even if you come from the most healthy background, the most healthy dynamic with your parent. In fact, I had a great conversation with Michaela Tyson on episode four of the podcast about the mother wound. And we said everybody has a mother wound, even if they have the most wonderful, healthy relationships. It is normal for us to grow up, for people to make mistakes and for those to leave wounds. The difference between us as children of narcissistic or toxic parents or who have challenging family dynamics is that we grow up with these massive wounds forming a huge part of our identity. Whereas in the norm, you have these small wounds that, okay, yeah, you might need to address, but they're met with empathy, they're met with compassion, they're met with accountability. And I know I'm getting a little off topic here, but what I found really interesting is whilst I was talking to Michaela, she'd said regardless of our mother wound, regardless of our experience, for so many of us, the question of, who are you, is really confronting. And it's such a big question. She would reframe it as, how do you want to feel? 
which I absolutely loved. And I do think that especially if you are somebody who feels similar to me and finds the question of who are you really confronting and the idea of a sense of self really difficult to navigate, it's a great way to reframe it in your mind. How do I want to feel? Well, I can answer that much easier than who am I? Because that's a huge topic. But I do feel that there is some value, especially when we're talking about estrangement and toxic family dynamics, in addressing the lack of sense of self when we talk about adult children or even children and adolescents who are growing up in that toxic family dynamic. Speak to any child psychologist or psychologist who works with adult children of narcissists, adult children of toxic family dynamics, and they will tell you that sense of self is so keenly eroded by the parent in this situation that it makes it very difficult to navigate as an adult. And it makes sense, doesn't it? You spend your entire childhood, your entire life trying to please your parent, trying to fit into whatever role they need you to fit into, whether you're being the scapegoat, the golden child, or even the invisible child in this dynamic. And what you find is that you've spent so much time trying to please them, trying to be everything that they want you to be so that you can be safe. Because we know as children that it's fundamental for us to have that connection with our primary caregiver. It's fundamental for our survival. We are hardwired that way to try and fit in, to try and please, to try and and gain love from our primary carer because the alternative is just too painful to think about. The alternative, our little brains cannot compute because if our parent can't give us love, if our parent can't be there for us, if our parent can't support us, then, I mean, wow, how dangerous is that situation? So we spend so much time trying to be everything that our parent might want us or need us to be and actually we end up never really being ourselves i tell you what actually sparked off the idea for this episode. I was reading Jessica Jones's book. Uh, she's the fat funny one on Instagram and her book is called Own It. And she was talking about her mum's telephone voice. And we've, I think we've all got that, right? I think everybody has that voice where they answer the phone and they sound a little bit different to how they might sound in everyday life. And I was thinking about that. And actually, I lived my entire life with a telephone voice. And there I was, reading away, merrily minding my business, when all of a sudden this realisation hit me in the face. I spent my entire childhood, and up until my early 30s, living my life with my telephone voice. And every time I broke out of that, and I would be Harriet, there would be serious repercussions for that, and that is so difficult to navigate. And what happens is, especially in these toxic dynamics or in these narcissistic parent households, when you spend your entire life living with your telephone voice, it makes it really difficult to know what your real voice is, know who you really are. And I firmly believe that this is exactly why we as adults of narcissistic parents or toxic family dynamics are so often told by said parents, it's your spouse that's turned you against me. It's your friends that have given you these outlandish notions. It's your therapist putting things in your head. Because to that parent, you've never really been seen as a person. You've never really been given the right to have your own identity, to have your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own sense of being. So in order for you to have come to the conclusion and to look back critically at your childhood and to be holding your parent accountable for the things that they did get wrong and asking them to make that repair, well then you would have to be viewed as another human being. You would have to be viewed as separate. You would have to be viewed as someone worthy of having their own thoughts, their own feelings. And a narcissistic parent simply cannot do that for you. 
It makes sense, right? This people-pleasing is conditioned into us by the narcissistic parent from when we are tiny. So when we suddenly push back against their behaviour, when we suddenly start to develop a sense of identity, especially if it comes from something like social media, it comes from widening our horizons, it comes from a spouse who perhaps red flags and goes, mm, that behaviour is not acceptable, or from friends who go, your mum does that? That's a bit weird. Or from a therapist who says, okay, how does that make you feel? And you start to think critically on these things. It makes sense that that is incredibly confronting for a narcissistic parent who has conditioned you into believing that everything that they say is correct, who has conditioned you into being a people pleaser, who has conditioned you into giving them the fawn response every time they give you the silent treatment, every time you step out of line slightly, has knocked you back into place. And it was only when I was reading Jess's book and I came across this passage about the telephone voice, which to put it into context for you, what Jess was saying is that we all have that self where we put on our best foot forwards, we do it on dates, we do it for the telephone voice, all these things where we perhaps adjust our behaviour ever so slightly so that we can be viewed as better or so that we can give a great first impression. But when you're stuck in that role, you're stuck with the telephone voice and you don't actually have any idea what your own voice is like. It's incredibly crippling. And what I've discovered when I've thought about it more is that not only did I grow up with a real lack of sense of self, especially as a child and then into adolescence, where in normal family dynamics, you start to discover your sense of self. You start to really push back against your parents. You start to challenge their views. You start to challenge their rules. All of those things are perfectly normal in normal development. But when you do those things as a toddler, as a child, as a teenager, in a narcissistic parent household, you are given the message that that is inherently bad. You are given the message that you are not allowed to do that, that showing up as yourself or challenging that parent's authority, standing up for yourself, whatever it might actually come out as, however it might actually look, you are given the core belief that you are not deserving of love, be it with silent treatment, be it with severe narcissistic rage explosions that then lead to silent treatment or lead to that narcissistic amnesia where they completely forget that they've just shouted and screamed at you and walk through into the room with, hi, what would you like for tea? And it's so baffling. It's a complete topsy-turvy up and down of what the hell is going on here emotionally? You're given that core belief that you're not worthy that you're bad, that your core self is something that should be suppressed. And that's exactly what we do. We suppress our sense of self so that we can be more palatable to the narcissistic parents so that we can gain their approval so that we can stay safe. And I want to just take a minute to remind you that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. There is nothing inherently unlovable about you. There is nothing inherently toxic or damaged or flawed about you. There never was as a child and there isn't now. One of my earliest memories of having this sense of self crushed and being given the message that challenging my mum's authority would go very badly for me, all wrapped up in a nice little shame bundle, was when we were in Spain. And I must have been about the age of six. And what had been agreed with the school was that whilst I was taking a bit of time out, I think it was about two weeks, maybe 10 days, I would keep a journal every day of the things that I've been getting up to, just to keep me practicing my writing, keep me reading. And I, I love that idea, by the way. I do that with my kids. We do it through the summer holidays. We'll sometimes create a scrap 
book box so they can collect stones, feathers, all that kind of stuff whilst they're out and about. And then they'll write like a little note. It just keeps them practicing the handwriting, keeps them reading, keeps them kind of in that learning phase. And I can remember the booklet that I was given clear as day because it was a Lion King notebook and on every page it had a little Simba printed on it. It was really cute. And I was collecting pictures and drawings and all the kind of things that six-year-old children will do. And on one day, I cannot for the life of me remember what I did. I was probably just being a typical stroppy little girl who had maybe wanted something at a stall and had been told no and then had thrown a temper tantrum or maybe I wanted ice cream. I can't tell you because I can't remember. And funnily enough, when I asked my mum about this situation, maybe five, six years ago before our estrangement happened, when I'd really started to open my eyes to her behaviours, she couldn't tell anybody what I'd done either because she couldn't remember it was that inconsequential that she couldn't even remember what I'd done because as enraging as it is when children are throwing those temper tantrums as enraging and infuriating as it is when they're pushing back against our boundaries it is a normal part of development it is a normal part of growing up of navigating parenthood and whilst it might be really frustrating and we all lose our temper from time to time the consequence really went beyond that so I'd thrown this temper tantrum whilst we were on holiday or I'd done whatever it was that I'd done that absolutely nobody seems to be able to remember because it was just so insignificant and we went back to the villa and bearing in mind that one of the agreements was for me to read out in class what I'd been doing using this journal and that I was going to show everybody and I was really excited to do that to go back and show all my friends and tell my teacher how clever I was that I'd written all these words my mum made me sit down with this little journal and write about how bad I was and how the things that I had done had hurt mummy and what an awful little girl I'd been on that day and how she was very angry with me and did not like me I even remember her helping me to spell some of the words (laughs) And I shouldn't laugh, really, because it's genuinely not funny. It's emotional abuse. I did actually go into school and I did read it out. And any time for the rest of the holiday, when anything was about to be added into the diary, my mum would give me a look that would just remind me that before that, I'd caused a big problem and I was going to have to, at some point, read out what a bad child I was and how horrible I was and how naughty I'd been. And I was going to have to let everybody know and I was going to have to feel the shame of being this awful child all because I'd challenged her authority. So after that point, anything that I put in that diary was tainted. And I do think there were a few days left of the holiday. And I don't actually remember any of the things that I wrote before that moment or any of the things that I wrote after that moment. And I don't remember reading any of those out. I do remember standing up in front of the class, reading out the diary, really feeling like I needed a wee because I was so anxious and I was so upset knowing that I was going to have to read this out. And I remember asking my mum, can I take that page out and not read it? And she'd said, no, you will. You will read it and let everybody know how bad you were and you will not do it again. This is your consequence. And so I did. I did read the diary out and I did read it out at school in front of all of my peers and the teacher who was pretty mortified and sort of pulled a face and went, oh dear. And then that was the end of it. I don't remember reading anything after that. I think she might well have said, okay, Harriet, well, thank you for that. And I was just left to go on my 
my merry way back to my shame stool. But as a parent now, I cannot imagine instilling in my eight-year-old daughter the idea that she is bad or shameful or trying to embarrass her in front of her peers because she'd had a temper tantrum. But that was very much my experience growing up. There was an awful lot of deliberate embarrassment. There was an awful lot of shaming because I'd stepped out of line, because I'd done those developmentally normal things to challenge my parents' authority. And the underlying reminder throughout all of that is that if you step out of line, there will be consequences and you will be hurt. If you develop your own sense of self, if you develop your own personality, there will be consequences and you will be hurt. And those messages were heard loud and clear by little Harriet. And I'm often struck by this sense of real resentment towards myself that I didn't try and gain more of a sense of self, more of my own identity until after the estrangement, until after I was in a position to really sit back and look at my upbringing and challenge that conditioning that I'd had. I mean, for God's sake, I was an adult who was responsible for a house, for a family, for all of the things that we all are responsible for. How the hell could I not challenge it and see? And yet that conditioning is so strong. And I think sometimes it's a case of cutting ourselves a bit of slack because actually when I look back at my adolescence, there were a lot of things that I was trying to do to carve out my own identity, that I was trying to do to gain a sense of self, but was always slapped down with. You might have heard the saying, the thing is not about the thing. And I think that's really common in narcissistic households. One of my examples of that is when I was a young teenager, there were so many things where my mum would treat me as her standing spouse. We would make decisions together that would then later be thrown back at me when I changed my mind because teenagers grow up and they develop. You know, I remember when I was maybe 11 or 12 and I painted my bedroom wardrobes as pink, purple, green and red. I mean, they were, oh, some yellow in there as well. They were hideous. But at the time, I thought they were so chic. They looked like, do you remember Groovy Chick? If you remember Groovy Chick, they looked like something out of that, but a teenager had actually painted it. It was horrific. But I thought it was really, really cool. And my mum came back and was like, right, okay. And then when I got two or three years down the line and was like, I, I, they're awful. I don't like them. It was, you did it. You chose to do that. Why, why would you do that and now change your mind? She couldn't quite navigate that I was somebody who was developing and growing and changing. That that was perfectly normal. So anyway, she decided to buy herself a KitchenAid. And this is just one example of a million. But she decided to buy herself a KitchenAid and that was a really big purchase for her. They are expensive. You know, it was really important for her. At the time she was having the kitchen redone and she'd asked me, what do you think the colour should be? Which colour do you want? I'm going to let you pick. And bless my soul, 13, 14, and I now have compassion for that young teenager who had no idea that picking the colour of a KitchenAid was going to be haunting her in her middle 30s. I said red. I really liked red and cream as a colourway and that's how we did out the kitchen. And it was a big deal that I was I'd had my opinion asked, like, you know, that was considered really grown up. And now I look at my kids and I'm like, I would not ask your opinion on how I should decorate the house that I'm paying for and living in. Like, I might ask you, do you like this colour? And if you said no, but I did, tough luck. You can pay to decorate your own house when you're older. I might ask them how they want to decorate their own rooms, but I wouldn't then hold it over them in the way that it was for me. Anyway, this KitchenAid was still in our home when we bought it, when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And for years, I had wanted to buy myself 
my own KitchenAid, my own thing. And if you hear that and you understand exactly what I mean by that, then you'll get it. And it was like I was asking if we could sell a child, like I was asking if we could strip away some fundamental part of my mum's identity because I wanted to carve out my own. Because if I now didn't like the red KitchenAid, then, I mean, that was some massive betrayal of her. And it was made into such a big thing that even during the estrangement when she was leaving, the KitchenAid was still bought up (laughs) because it wasn't really about the KitchenAid. It was about a loss of control of me and about me trying to carve out my own identity and trying to discover myself as a person separate from her. And the threat in that for her was that I was becoming something other than something that she could control, someone that she could manipulate. I had my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own wants and needs as a human being and I couldn't be seen as that. And then came the usual, you have no gratitude, you're ungrateful for everything I've done, you're a terrible person. And again, it's that feeding that message that you are a bad person, that you are inherently unlovable, that you don't deserve respect, that you don't deserve to be seen as a person separate to your narcissistic parent. And that's just not accurate. But once you start to wake up to it, and once you start to realise exactly what is happening, it's incredibly difficult to continue to ignore it and it's incredibly difficult to fit the jack back in the box and when we have that lack of sense of self it's really difficult to know how to set boundaries and to be firm with those boundaries because all we've ever known is people crossing over our boundaries people telling us that it's wrong or it's shameful or it's hiding things from them if you are setting boundaries in place I didn't have any boundaries with my parent and it was really difficult growing up knowing that there was nothing that I was allowed to keep just for me. I remember once having a diary and she fell out with me for days upon days because as a teenager is wont to do, I think it was in my late teens, she'd done something that really irritated me and I'd written, oh my goodness, my mum is such a bitch. And she took it so to heart because she read my diary and then it was, well, it's your fault because you left it out on the kitchen counter. You shouldn't have left it out. And it's these small erosions of your sense of self. It's these small erosions of your being And this shame that becomes attached to being yourself that creates people-pleasing problems, that creates a lack of boundaries. And when we start people-pleasing and we can't stop people-pleasing because we have a fear of being who we are in case that real person is rejected again, it's too much. And we never really get to know who we are or what we like or what we really think about things without the lens of our parent, without that inner critic telling us that we should be ashamed of ourselves, without that inner critic putting us down and making us feel unworthy and unlovable. And with people-pleasing tendencies came along the nice little sideline of hyper-awareness and hyper-vigilance, which I've noticed even in my relationships as I've become older. How often will we see jokes on social media where people are talking about wanting to message all of their friends and set up a podcast that says, can you tell me if I've pissed you off this week? Because they're just not sure if their friends are angry with them. They're just not sure if they've upset somebody. They're not sure how they've been received. And they're constantly on the lookout trying to work out out whether or not they've been a good friend, whether they've said something wrong, whether they should be worried about what they've done. All these different things are hyper-awareness that comes from wanting to please people who we care about. When we're in a healthier mindset and we can step away from that toxic parent, that narcissistic family member who's been controlling our emotions and telling us how to think, how to feel, how to act, 
and we start to think and feel and act for ourselves and become our more authentic self, it's really scary. There are parts of me that look back to when I was younger and think, oh, do you know that that was actually easier? It wasn't. It wasn't easier. It wasn't healthier. It certainly wasn't happier. But in a way, it's easy to convince yourself that it is easier. And I think we see this with golden children who have been triangulated by narcissistic parents who act against the scapegoated child, the one who is speaking out and say, well, no, your childhood wasn't like that because it's easier to think about your childhood in a positive light. It's easier to be compliant. It's easier to stay the favourite, to stay the person who doesn't rock the boat, who doesn't step out of line, who is the parent's favourite and always gets that praise. Because it's really hard being the one who actually speaks from your true self and goes, I don't care if you don't like who I am. I don't care if you think that I'm a bad person because there has to be a certain level of strength in that. And there has to be a certain level of breaking away from the conditioning that you've always been given. And when we have other parties involved, it's not just the narcissistic parent that's giving us those messages about sense of self. It's not just a narcissistic parent who is helping to erode our sense of self, but in fact, the wider family. Whilst I didn't have siblings who placed me in this position, I did have a really toxic relationship with my dad and my stepmom. And subsequently, that seems to have followed through the generations to their adopted children. Now, I've mentioned a few times the messages that I've received from my dad's daughter on this podcast. But one particular thing really stood out for me when we're talking about sense of self and me having my own identity away from my narcissistic parent. It was an incident in which she was talking about where my mum, I can only presume if the incident actually happened and it's true, I have no way of knowing that, although I do, knowing what I know now, believe that it did, had allegedly called my stepmum and told her that now my dad was dead, she was going to have to sell her house, she was going to have to give us all her money, and that she was going to be left with nothing and be struggling. But when my dad's daughter was talking about this, she was saying, you or your mum did this, and I think it's disgusting. And I had to try and explain to her that me and my mum are two separate people, although nobody in my life ever seems to have really viewed us as such, especially not any of the adults that were responsible for helping to raise me as a child. When I was growing up, and this is how it's been passed down generationally, because you can tell straight from her messages, you or your mum. That's the attitude that I was raised with. It was either me, my dad and his wife, or me and my mum. It was never just me. I was never allowed to just be me with my own thoughts, my own feelings. Now at 15, 16, I know I didn't ring anybody and demand that they sell a house. I know that I didn't ring anybody and threaten that they would be without anything was not something that I was involved in. But still, I was culpable because it was me or my mum. There was that complete erosion of my sense of identity. And it comes from outside figures as well as just the narcissistic parent and that's how it's held up. Despite all of these messages that I have grown up with and despite there still being people who, as with my dad's adopted daughter, will be quite happy to message me and try to hold me to account for my mum's behaviour because I can't tell the difference between them. I feel like since the estrangement, that is when I have really started to investigate who I am and to acknowledge that I have my own thoughts and feelings that might well differ from my partners, might well differ from my friends, and that's absolutely okay, and started to really develop and investigate a sense of who I am. But it 
took me cutting ties with my parent to start to do that. One of the most powerful tools for me in investigating who I am as a person, how I feel about things and what my opinions are, has to have been journaling. I found journaling to be really useful, really helpful, especially with guided journals. I use the Positivity Planner and that's been really helpful for me, practicing gratitude in the morning and then acknowledging things that I have done well, talking about how I'm feeling. And what I've started to realize is that as time goes on, I get better and better at checking in with myself and saying, okay, how do I feel in this moment? Am I feeling triggered about something? Why has that upset me so much? And what am I what's really going on here? What's really upsetting me? What am I really feeling like this for? What do I need right now? And it's in making those small changes and in doing those things that I have really started to develop a sense of self without shame and without feeling like I'm betraying someone for being a well-rounded adult with their own opinions and feelings. I feel like this was an awful lot to cram into a relatively short episode of the podcast, but I wanted you to know that if you are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, and you have been raised by a narcissistic parent or a toxic family dynamic, and you are feeling like, actually, I don't really know who I am, and I don't really have a sense of self, I want you to know that you're not alone, and I want you to know that it does come over time, that it's a constantly developing thing, and you don't have to have all of the answers there and then. You don't have to be able to answer the big question of who am I, especially when you've been raised in these dynamics where it's so difficult to get a grips with who you are without feeling shame and without feeling that toxicity that has been put upon you for the entirety of your existence. What you are is a whole, complex, messy human being who is entitled to have feelings, who is entitled to have opinions, and who is entitled to think and feel for themselves without feeling like they are betraying anyone, without feeling like they are inherently bad or unlovable. You are lovable. You are worthy of respect. You are worthy of self-respect. And you are worthy of setting your boundaries, protecting your peace and allowing yourself to develop as a person, to change as a person. You're allowed to change your mind, to change things that you feel and think. You're allowed to grow and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, guys, and for being a part of this community. I will be back again next week with another episode. I've been Harriet Shearsmith and together we are Unfollowing Mum. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.